0: Welcome to, or welcome back to, depending on your particular situation, Lords of Order, a DC's Doctor Fate fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore. The website can be found at bigtimenoise.com/slash/doctorfate. Lords of Order has pages on both Google Plus and Facebook, and the email address is the Doctor Fate fan podcast, all one word. If uh, you guys decide to send some email, now the book that I'm going to go through today is the first issue and the Divergence uh, sneak peek of the new Dr. Fate book. The uh, sneak peek is about a month and a half, maybe almost two months old. Uh, Dr. Fate 1 is about three weeks old, so uh, these are your spoiler warnings for you guys that haven't had a chance to read either one of those. Now, the, the creators are the same for both, but perhaps they have a little bit different roles between the Divergent Sneak Peek and the, and the issue itself. Uh, Paul Levitz is the writer for both. Sonny Liu, I believe, L I E W, is the artist for both, but then it, it kind of diverges as to what else he did. For the um, Divergent Sneak Peek, he also did the colors, but Lee Loughbridge did the colors for the full issue one, and then the letter was Nick J. Napolitano for both. The mm, the story for one, and, and perhaps you can extend that to the sneak peek. Uh, the title of the snor- story, because it really doesn't have one, is "Blood of the Pharaohs." And then in the in the sneak peek, I'll start with it first. We have the little setup blurb: Medical student Khalid Kent Nasor awakens the ancient power of Nabu, transferring him into this generation's Doctor Fate. We open in uh, New York, in the Brooklyn area, around the Bay Bridge here initially. And it's been raining uh, for three days, they say here. Yeah, three straight days. The The situation is getting pretty rough. We have uh, we're a, a pack of dogs that uh, find... Well, well, first of all, we see that traffic is really snarled uh, because of the weather. The rain seems to be more than um, most of the... Uh, rain facilities can handle. Uh, there is slight flooding in places where there shouldn't be. Highways, streets, the sewers are full. The gutters are full. You know, so it's it's getting to be. It, we're at the point where it's getting to be a situation. The amount of water and it appears to just keep going. No no relief in sight so to to show how bad things are really we we have a pack of dogs that are roaming around and they find a shirt in the gutter fight over the shirt, and tear a portion of it off now these are some really interesting looking dogs to me they they look more like uh, wild animals like perhaps almost emaciated wolves or coyotes rather than just stray dogs but i I believe they're just these are just intended to be stray dogs. So we, we have a, a connecting situation here. One of the dogs runs off with a part of the shirt that they were fighting off and runs down an alley and through the city and passes a window of a house. We're inside the house now as the dog passes by with this um, part of a, a sleeve of the shirt in its mouth. And we see a black cat that hisses at the dog as it sees it run by through the window, and, and we have a woman here uh, apparently fixing dinner. We find out that the cat's name is Puck, because the woman refers to it. Um, Puck, did I say it's a black cat? I think I did. But uh, nonetheless, it's a black cat. Here we're introduced to the family of Khalid. Uh, He is the youngest son who has finished college and is preparing to enter medical school. So that makes him, what, 21, 22, about? The husband... Khalid's dad whose name we find out is I believe Muhammad and the mother is not not named and and that's our that's our family now Khalid is first generation Egyptian born here in the US the father definitely and I assume by association the mother were born and raised and grew up quite quite extensively in Egypt and then came to the US we do find out here pretty early on that Khalid's father Muhammad is a trained doctor in Egypt, but when they immigrated here to the U.S., he was not allowed to practice. So he and someone else partnered in a cab, and so that's what Muhammad now does is he drives a cab every night. While Khalid was in college, apparently to earn extra money for he and/or his family, he also drove the cab, uh, perhaps to to spot his dad some time off because uh, it's just his dad and, and, a, and a partner driving. You would think twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, this cab. So, um, so, so we see a, a, a very distinct situation in in my mind where the mother and father are living a lifestyle that they they don't particularly want to pass on to their son. They want to uh, motivate him to elevating his at least financial situation so that he can have a better situation a better environment than what they find themselves in and kind of to to hammer this home we see in a particular panel here that their first floor roof is leaking even though i would assume the house probably has a second floor so that's that's kind of bad not not really sure what that's from Uh, i guess you're supposed to assume that it's from the rain um i'm sorry now that we we see them step out here i guess it's not a house it looks more like a tenement or an apartment building Even more curious that the first floor would be leaking from the roof. That's a very bad situation in my mind. Uh, So Khalid is going to a nearby park to meet with his girlfriend. Uh, During the little bit of downtime they have, we find out here momentarily that she also is preparing to go to med school. So they're, they're both in the same situation. They're both roughly the same age. They're both trying to get time to spend together with all of these other things Going on, Khalid bums a, a ride from his dad, who is going down towards the waterfront. I believe that's what he said. Uh, let's see, down by the shore. So I guess to, because that's where his partner left the cab to be picked up by the the next shift. As they're driving, we see that they pass a particular dog that's just sitting off the side of the street, and Khalid takes notice of the dog. Uh, the dog, we find out, will, will be a, a fairly major player in at least this first, I assume, story arc. Um, again, the, this dog is drawn a little bit more stylistically, like those dogs that opened up, uh, with its longer, thinner, almost emaciated-looking, a longish snout, just an odd-looking dog. Well, you find out that perhaps something funky is going on, because on the next page we see who you assume to be Puck, the black cat that Khalid and his parents own or, or took in, whatever the situation, speaking to this very same dog. And there's, there, the bubbles, the, the speech bubbles are all in black, so automatically that tells me that they're more than just some uh, version of, of talking animals. There's something, I would assume, mystical going on. Uh, they're, they're talking about what's going on. Uh, the, this storm is connected to something bigger. And we have some uh, determinants of, of who all is involved here tossed out in their conversation. We see a reference to Ma'at, and we see a reference to Carrion, Do- uh, Carrion God, who Puck refers to the dog as. The dog also makes a reference to I will grant you passage to the house of the dead uh, when the cat, Puck, drowns. Uh, Ma'at is a concept that was also given anthropomorphic form, uh, the concepts of truth, balance, order, law, morality, justice. Most of those uh, we are told in varying degrees in modern mythology are out of whack in our current world, uh, particularly the word balance. There is no balance, it seems, or, or very little very little balance. It's lacking in balance. Uh, Anubis is the god of the afterlife in ancient Egypt and uh, is most often represented by a jackal head on w- whatever it might be, uh, a human body. There are statues of a, of a dog with a, a very stylized jackal head long snout, big ears so we're dealing with Anubis we're dealing with the concept of Ma'at but I don't believe that we're dealing with the uh, any type of personification of Ma'at which also um, is a female which in my mind associates more with a cat than it does with a dog which I associate with male I don't know why but that, that's just my immediate association. Uh, we will find out here in a, in a little bit more precisely who this cat represents. After the dog and cat, uh, Anubis, and this cat speak, the cat disappears in a puff of black smoke with some Egyptian hieroglyphics in, in the smoke that you can see. So now we go to Khalid. He has uh, met up with his girlfriend, Shea. They're walking through a garden, talking. He's he's trying to, he's trying to make time with her. You know, he's he's trying to to, to hook it up, right? Is that what you kids say? Hook it up. Well, anyways, and uh, this is where we find out that she also is in med school because she kind of blows him off. Uh, she doesn't have the time right now to invest in them that he does. He wants to because he knows his time is going to be even more limited very soon. She is of the mind that the time is very limited now. So her her time frame is moved up where his is moved back a little bit. You know, So there, there's a little bit of, of conflict there. He wants time and feels he has time. She well, doesn't really want time because she feels that they don't have time. Uh, so the two are trying to balance out the same life, but they're not in the same time frame in doing that. We continue to see the severity of this storm uh, that is here. It just is unrelenting. So she goes off to do these other things that she feels is more important than spending time with, I would assume, her boyfriend, other than just a friend. While he's uh, walking around kicking the water, you know, all, all down in the mouth, he runs into Puck and decides that he is going to um, try to, to uh, do something nice, try, try to regain his girlfriend's attention he's going to buy her something. And they happen to be near the museum, and he goes to the gift shop in the museum because she has a particular fondness for things that reminds her of the old world. I'm assuming Egypt. I don't know that she was born there or that he was. Perhaps they were, and so they also have a little bit of time, which would or a little bit of time in country there, which means that Khalid is not first generation American if he was born in Egypt, of course. So that that's not very distinct. Probably not very important. Uh, what is is important is that he is of uh, Khalid is of Egyptian heritage, and so everything we're seeing the mythology of this initial story. Uh, we do know already, uh, if you have been exposed to Dr. Fate, that there is an ancient Egypt connection, but I haven't always felt that it was a, a primary function of the character, but rather uh, a secondary or an additional function. But here, I'm, I'm really picking up between this Divergence intro and the, the first issue, that there is a, a major connection between Dr. Fate and ancient Egypt, Egyptian mythology. So he goes to the gift shop, and as he's walking through the Art for Eternity exhibit, uh, he hears his name, Khalid Nasur, and he turns, and there is a statue of Bast holding the helmet of fate. And she says, the tide is upon you. And that's that's the end of our our preview here. Now Bast is the ancient uh goddess of I'm looking here of warfare which is odd if she's on the the good side and anubis is on the bad side uh, but I guess what it is is that to fight off anubis you need a warrior so being the warrior goddess she uh, and and her uh her images are often cat cat heads on whatever, on a stylized body, on a human body, whatever it may be. So I, I there, there are a couple other deities that this could have been, but there is most definitely a reference in the first issue to the fact that this black cat puck, as they're calling it, refers, is, is a manifestation of the goddess goddess Bast. All right, so we move over to the first issue. Um, first issue had a variant cover by Ibrahim Mustafa that I really like. It's really cool. It's the F- Helmet of Fate in profile with Khalid sitting on top of it, facing the back of the helmet, the helmet facing towards the left. Really cool image. But the book opens, uh, still storming, We see this representation of Anubis speaking out loud, kind of filling us in on what's going on. Uh, He's running around, causing a little bit of havoc, again referencing that the Ma'at will be restored, and you, you shall all be slaves in my house of the dead, he says out loud to one particular guy. And from the guy's reaction, I take it that this dog is really speaking to him. There's a white bolt of lightning in the background, that Anubis notices, and as he goes to investigate, he says, That bitch, Bastet, would not dare. So uh, it is indeed Bast that the black cat is personifying. We go back to the Brooklyn Museum, which was the museum I mentioned, and we see that the statue is still beseeching Khalid, come to me, come, the tide is upon you, accept your fate. And Khalid is just taken aback, of course, the statue talking to him. He says, what the hell? And so there's a little bit of um, back and forth, uh, not really back and forth, just talking towards Khalid, because, of course, he's not going to be spending much time speaking to a statue, because he doesn't believe that's what's going on. It's beseeching him to take the helmet of fate, and then the statue disappears, and the helmet just falls and bounces on the floor. Khalid kind of freaks out, Runs out, and as he does, we see that the helmet of fate is levitating and it calls after him. So he runs out into the storm. Watching him is this black cat personification of Bast uh, who takes off following him. Again, filling us in on the story. Without worshippers, she says, I'm not strong enough to defeat Anubis alone, nor will Amun Ra. Descend from the heavens to protect these heathens. We need a pharaoh. The boy will have to do. So, Bast is looking for a champion to fight against Anubis because Amun Ra, who is a um, a primeval like higher up deity in the pantheon, the the primeval creator is often what he's referred to, will not. Do anything. So, if if we are to be saved from the machinations of Anubis, then Bast feels that she must do something. The humans themselves must do something because God—and I throw that out in big quotes—the the you know ultimate creator will not help them. We then have uh, several panels on two pages, as a two-page spread of Khalid uh, speaking with Shea via texting. Uh, very current. You know, going back and forth. He then calls his mother to check in with her. Right after that conversation, we now see that Puck has turned up back at the household. Uh, the mother is kind of surprised that the cat's not wet, knowing that the cat has been outside. Owning to its mystical nature, I suppose, is, is why that's like that. We then cut to Muhammad, uh, who is driving his cab in this rain. He's picked up somebody that wants to go to the airport and Muhammad is speaking about and trying to drive responsibly. This person just desperate to get to the airport because there's a you know he has to make a particular flight. So you see some conflict here between the 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 pushing that Muhammad is being pushed uh, perhaps to be dangerous in in his driving to get this customer this particular fare to the airport. Cut to Khalid, who is uh, beneath. Or, or near the museum in the subways waiting for train, notices that a child has apparently fallen from the platform down onto the tracks. Trains coming. Khalid decides he's going to be the hero, jumps down to save the little girl, hands the girl up to the mother, and when he's finished with that, he realizes that the train is too close to him. He he can't he can't do anything and we see a, a we see several things here happen um the trains bearing down on him he says inshallah which i apologize i did not look up to see exactly what that means i'm not sure if it's part of an incantation or not okay i see that it is arabic for if allah wills and then he yells stop and the train stops we we see this um perhaps magical mysticalness around him and he is you know very much surprised but he just basically he just shakes it off as the the train stopped and he haltingly climbs up out of the tracks to the platform ascends to the street and is just he's he's befuddled big time now because of the talking statue in the museum. The train just inexplicably stopping, perhaps, at his command, which, of course, is impossible. He's wandering around on the streets above. He runs into Puck yet again, and Puck speaks to him. Accept your fate, Khalid, she says. We cut back to Anubis. We have some uh, text bubbles of, like, reports from a radio or television or something like that. We're not sure. Just filling us in, again, in the direness of the weather situation. Uh, for some reason, and I'm not 100% sure, this manifestation of Anubis grows, grasps a big tree that has fallen a particular part of the street here, and tosses it onto some of the housing structures next to it. I'm not sure what the point of all that was, to show us once and for all that this is not a normal dog, perhaps? I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't understand why. So Bast and Khalid now. Bast is leading Khalid back to the museum, still talking. Khalid is, you know, despite the really freakiness of his day, he still decided to follow this cat. Uh, They walk back to that section of the museum through some funky, shadowy, portal-looking things that Khalid attempts to take a picture of with his phone, but it, it doesn't appear on his phone as it does to his eye. Which, I don't know, I guess uh, is also supposed to attest to its mystical nature and not its uh, real world nature. Uh, Bast is, is filling him in on a, a little bit of, of what's going on. I've watched over you and waited for this moment. Anubis seeks to use the floods to cleanse the earth and restore the Ma'at, the order of things, to what suits the jackal. Amun Ra requires you to oppose Anubis and heal your world. Bast has led him back to this statue, holding the Helmet of Fate. Now, the last time we saw, the statue had disappeared. Uh, The statue is encased in a a glass case, right? Like you'd see in a museum protecting it. But coming out of 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 a hole, mystically put in the case, is the arm of the statue holding the Helmet of Fate. So, the cat Puck is still talking to him. Khalid is is very unsure of himself. We see what I assume is sweat pouring pouring down his brow rather than rain, because he's been out in the rain two or three times today. But he's reaching for the helmet. Uh, The last thing that Bast tells him is there is a price for power, Khalid, and for seeing what lies beyond. I shall pay for gifting this to you, and you shall pay as well. Fate puts the helmet on. We have this surgence of, of mystical power around him. We see some uh, energy nimbus circles around his hands, both hands, which is kind of a, a kind of display, if that's a word. We've seen that before with the character. Uh, the cat Puck tells him, I am done, son of the pharaohs. I go to be born again. Bastet dies, and the wheel of life turns. Now, Khalid's diction, um, diction. I guess it would be diction, has changed. The font used for when he speaks with the helmet on is different than what it is, has been prior to now without the helmet. Right now, not necessarily sure what that means, but it shows that there is some difference between Khalid with the helmet on and Khalid with the helmet off. Um, so all this mysticalness happens. He's getting visions. Uh, he's he's not really sure what they are. He, he, he every, all of this. He, he's just uh, confounded by all these things that are happening. We have these uh, mystical, almost psychedelic panels, and ultimately he finds himself flying outside of the museum, and we see here now two parts of a conversation. One is Khalid. I don't sound like myself. Deeper. Older. And then we have this other bubble that inside the bubble is a oval, and inside the oval because you are no longer Khalid mortal. In the same font as Khalid speaks when he has the helmet on. Uh, this is perhaps telling us that this helmet contains some sort of entity as well or the helmet is a conduit for another entity to something, speak to, at the very least, Khalid. So we we have two distinct things going on. Now, for those of you that are familiar with Dr. Fate, that's a very familiar concept. The uh, indweltness, I guess you could say, of the helmet of Fate and the wearer being a vessel for some amount of the consciousness, the being that inhabits the helmet. And at times it has been depicted as going a little more deeper than that, but that's, that's just a very surface relationship between the helmet of fate and the wearer. So Khalid is flying around here, lands on top of an replica, I believe, of the Arc de Triomphe from France. Uh, somewhere in New York. Uh, I'm not sure if that it really exists or where that would be. I assume it would be in association with some park, uh, perhaps Central Park. I- I'm not sure. I'm not too familiar with New York or Brooklyn because that's where all of this has been happening, the Brooklyn Museum. He lives near it, so he must live in Brooklyn, I take it. So he uh, is trying to fly and then just crashes on top of this uh, this monument, this art, and and is then shown holding the helmet. I don't know if he took it off or if it came off in the in the crash, but um, he has the helmet off and he is speaking initially with this helmety font and then his speech clears up so to speak to the normal speech pattern that he had had, well normal, you know, for Khalid up to this point. And he's standing on top of this thing trying to figure out what's going on how does he get down from here holding the helmet of fate under his his arm we cut to his dad Mohammed driving the taxi trying to get to the airport in the midst of this trip he is stopped by a pack of dogs in the road because he does not want to run them over and no sooner does he stop that a nearby tree just breaks falls onto the cab and injures him To some extent, we don't know exactly what extent because the final panel shows him sitting in a seat, uh, blood streaming from several cuts on his face, the roof of the cab caved in, and the fare that he had in the back of the cab standing outside the cab saying, maybe you shouldn't have left Egypt, old man. And that's where we end this issue with the teaser that Rising Tide is next issue. I really like the usage of the uh, ancient Egyptian mythology because that is, uh, I'm not overly familiar with that. I'm more familiar with the, the Greek and Roman mythologies, uh, familiar with Thor, uh, Norse mythologies. Egyptian mythology is a new one to me, so learning these characters and having a reason to see why particular characters are used is cool for me. Uh, I enjoy that aspect of the story. And I I, I think I would like that to stay as a main piece of the mythology of Dr. Fate, that it is very rooted in Egyptian mythology because that would give us an opportunity to explore that, uh, which may well be the case given that they have chosen in this iteration of Dr. Fate for it to be an Egyptian uh, character that is the host. I guess it's going to be host. We'll see. Of of the entity in the helmet. I would like to extend some thanks to recent mentions of the podcast by the Fire and Water podcast, an Aquaman Firestorm podcast, and the Trekker Talk podcast. Both mentioned uh, rather positively Lords of Order, and I appreciate that very much. Also want to give a shout-out to Kyle Benning, who left a comment on the website, and Kyle says, uh, Ed, I've really been digging the podcast. Dr. Fate has always been a fascinating character, and I've really enjoyed your take and recap on his exploits. I've been working my way through your back catalog of episodes this week at work. I'm currently listening to episode 29, and thought I'd chime in on the Spear of Destiny and its effects on the superheroes of the JSA. Now, remember, I was a little uh, wishy-washy on exactly how that worked. And I have had several comments uh, – this is one, and there will be a couple more in, in subsequent episodes when I get to them – of folks helping me clear that up, and that's, that's cool. Um, Kyle continues, uh, let's see, the Spear didn't rob them of their superpowers. It instead enthralled them. Anytime they got within the airspace of occupied Europe, the Spear's power took control of them, making them slaves to the will of the Spear's wielder, Hitler. So the super-powered costume crime fighters of America would become slaves of the Nazis, uh, and thus they uh, uh, slaves of the Nazis should they try to interfere. To explain why the JSAers didn't instead attack Japan, the plot device of the Japanese controlling the Holy Grail was used. The Holy Grail's possession had the same effect, preventing any super-powered or magic-powered heroes from entering the Japanese sphere of control during the war. To see more of this, check out the first few issues of All Star Squadron written by Roy Thomas issue four specifically features the heroes including dr fate falling victim to the japanese mind control now uh we will get to i I will get to rather covering all-star squadron uh going chronologically the all-star squadron appearances don't necessarily start with the earlier issues of all-star squadron they'll bounce around but i'm sure since dr fate is in issue four that we will I i will end up talking about issue four um off the top of my head, I forget. I believe the the first one chronologically, the first appearance, is in one of the annuals. So that'll be the first All-Star Squadron we see, which should be coming up here within the next four or five episodes. Uh, Kyle says, This power didn't affect the non-powered costume vigilantes, so guys like Hawkman and the Atom enlisted in the armed forces went overseas to fight the Nazis and Japanese as soldiers. Signed, Kyle Benning, and more importantly... Of the King Sized Comics Giant Size Fun network of podcasts, so definitely want to give another shout out to the King Sized Comics Giant Size Fun podcast, uh, which I've been listening to, and it's it's a it's a groovy one. I listen to the Fire and Water. I listen to Trekker Talk also. So the, these are all good podcasts, uh, excellent hosts. If if you are fans of Aquaman, Firestorm, uh, the Trekker books by Ron. Ah, I forget his last name. I'm sorry, guys. Ron Richmond, maybe? I forget. Trekker, T-R-E-K-K-E-R, though. You guys can look it up because I fell down flat in looking that up before to give full information. And the King Size Comics Giant Size Fun Network. Multiple shows there. So, thank you, everyone. Uh, The next episode, I'll be talking about All-Star Comics Volume 1, Issue Number 5 from 1941. Uh, Be on the lookout next week because the second issue of the new Dr. Fate volume is supposed to drop next week. So hopefully I'll slip it into the coverage here Pretty soon, uh, probably after next episode, All Star Comics 5, I'll cover episode 2 and we'll see what's going on with the current Dr. Fate. Thanks a lot, guys. Catch you later. Lords of Order is a Teal production, and as such, is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non commercial, non derivative 3.0 unported license.